0: Just between us
1: hey. Just between
2: us hey. yeah. Hello! I'm Allison Raskin I'm a writer, director, and graduate student
0: Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi bisexual icon, wink, and I'm
2: unpacking a new house. <laughs> Which is more stressful? Who's to say? <laughs>
0: well, eventually this house will be unpacked. I guess eventually you'll graduate. You know what? There's a light at the end of the tunnel for us all.
2: Was it stressful to move with a partner for the first time?
0: Uh, no. I mean... Mal is much more interested in the ins and outs of having a nice home than I am.
2: I'd say most people are than you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I live in kind of like a perpetual bachelor pad. Like I love having my movie posters up. I, I I've never bought a couch that wasn't like from Craigslist if something is staying where it is, like, I don't need a holder for it. Like, it's like when you look on Reddit and it's like, this is a boy's apartment and he thinks this is acceptable. And I'm like, what's wrong with it? So it's actually really nice because Mal's like making the place, like, we have placemats. We have like a table that can hold, you know, little plants and things. Like they're very um homey and like interested in, Making it a nice home, which is, makes sense. I mean, we're we're in a pandemic. We can't go anywhere. Yeah. But I also, I have a lot of stuff that is stupid. Like I have a lot of like, I don't know, like figurines. Yeah. What would you call them? Dolls? Action figures? What's it called? Chachkas. <laughs> tchotchkes. I have a yeah. lot of tchotchkes. <laughs> you know, and a lot of my stuff is very quirky. Like the lamp that's over here to the right of me is made out of coral. It's got like
2: coral That's reef terrible. aesthetic.
0: Why? It's not real coral. Oh, okay. It's I like, was like, you
2: really should not buy products with coral no, They didn't
0: <laughs> go down, but it's like meant to be in like a beach house, I think. Um, and I just like, if something's weird looking, like I saw a, a big red bookcase, like Mal's mm-hmm. like, oh, get a bookcase. And our whole aesthetic is like blue and gold. But I saw this big, bright red bookcase on Craigslist. And I was like, hear me out. And Mal was like, no, honey. <laughs> and like my house, I mean, you've been to where I've lived before. It's like there's no color scheme, there's no coherent through line.
2: But that's fine. I mean, also, like, you don't need to actively engage with this if this is like Mal's thing, you know, like you can just sort of let them enjoy decorating.
0: Yeah. But I also am asked my opinion on like bath mats and stuff. And I'm sort of like, sure.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, Okay, (laughs) but it's nice to have them include you. And then you can say, you know, because you don't want them to not include you. But you can also then say, I truly don't care.
0: (laughs) I feel like I should just make a decision. Like, I should just say yes or no, even though I don't. Oh, I love a partner that
2: doesn't care. then you get to you get to make the decision without feeling bad that like you bulldozed it. Yeah,
0: I've discovered that I might be a sitcom husband. Yeah. And you know who else really cares about decorating is uh, my sister. So I was just going behind Mal and Cheyenne at Target. I'm just rolling the cart as they're like putting things in and talking about what color things should be. And I'm just like, my job is to push the cart. That's great. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a really nice house. I've never bought a couch before, like went to like a furniture store to like buy a couch. It was a whole
2: thing. That's awesome. Where'd you get your couch? I don't know where. I like things to be like neat and um, minimalist, but past that, whatever.
0: (laughs) It is all very nice. But in terms of being homey too, Mal's a bit like a hobbit in the sense that there's plants everywhere and they're Mm. like, you know, they've got all their little sort of like projects that they're doing. So there's like paint cans and sanders and like all this kind of stuff. Wow. Like will I'll be like, oh, we should order a table. I'm going to build a table. Okay, sweetie, have yeah. fun. Like, good for you. I'm
2: going <laughs> to compost outside. I love that for you. Please. Well, we've got a great episode for you guys this week. Oh, this is just between us, by the way. I was going to say We're we didn't say. <laughs> this is just between us. A variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Uh, so now is the point of the show before we dive into the good stuff where we just want to say thank you so much for rating and reviewing the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there. and We really want this one to continue. So as an incentive for you guys to rate and, and review and share with your friends, we read some of our favorite reviews. Schmidt
0: 8214. A lot of fun while balancing serious issues. What a great podcast. Allison and Gabby provide a perfect balance between addressing serious issues and just plain fun. I always laugh out loud during hypotheticals. Although I don't always fully agree with their political standings, Allison and Gabby address a lot of serious issues facing the world today in a way I find very educational. I greatly appreciate how much they address mental health topics and social issues not often discussed. They always have very interesting guests on a variety of topics. So this is a positive review, but then it's a four out of five stars. So Schmidt, I have a question. Why four out of five stars? Why not
2: five stars? Some people I think just will never leave a five star.
0: Yeah. Is this your thing? Is that like you're like the person who doesn't leave five stars? I would think that was a six star review. Like, it's that thing of where, like, you'll read a restaurant review and it'll be like, amazing, best restaurant ever, four stars. What'd you take a star off for? So let us know, Schmidt, what's your fucking problem?
2: Okay. So we have got a great episode for you guys this week.
0: This week, we're asking community advocate and city council candidate Nithya Rahman some tough questions about her politics and
2: running a progressive
0: grassroots campaign.
2: And later, we'll be discussing values. What are our values and how do you live a life aligned with them? Is that even possible? I
0: don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But
2: first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Carolina, New York. She says, After the death of a loved one, what are some ways to reach out to others who are also grieving for support while respecting that grief is a personal process? Oh, what a good question. Have you noticed any commonalities shared among those who are grieving? And what has each of your experiences with grief been like and how have you reached out to others for support or, in contrast, supported someone else who was grieving? Background. A few months ago during quarantine, we lost my mom due to health complications. This has been a long road and the hardest thing we have gone through as a family. During and after that time, I felt lots of support, and there was a willingness to talk openly about it with my family. However, now that a few months have passed, we don't speak about it much, and everyone is private about their grieving process. It's often hard for me to vocalize my grief to others, but it could be comforting to discuss it with my family, as talking to friends can be isolating. Grief is a very underrepresented and taboo topic in society, but I feel like it is particularly relevant during this time where many have lost loved ones to COVID.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I just read this article in Vanity Fair by someone named uh, Jessmine Ward, and she was writing about losing her husband in, uh, like, January to COVID, and this was before anyone was really talking about it or taking it seriously, and she talked about, like, how people were mocking it or treating it as, like, a sort of like a punchline or something when she had already lost her husband. She was just talking about how isolated she felt and how she didn't know how to make others see like that it was serious. And I think a thing about grief is how strange it is to be grieving when the world is going on around you, not just during COVID, but in general. Because when someone dies, you feel like everything should stop. The Mm -hmm. world should stop like, nobody should be doing anything. And so, like, even little things, like, annoy you where it's, like, you see someone, like, eating a pizza and you're, like, how dare you eat a pizza right now? Like, my family member is dead. Um, It's almost like you've discovered a world of pain and no one else is in it. Mm -hmm. And you want to go back to what it was like before you felt this, but you also know that you won't be able to. And I think you feel like your experience is so singular and unique, which it is to an extent, but other people are also grieving. There's also, you know, there's grief support groups. There's other people who have lost husbands. There's other people who have lost parents. Like there's very specific feelings attached to each one. And there's very specific groups for each one. I mean, we had an episode of this show with Nora McNerney talking about losing her husband to cancer. And I think that's a really good resource uh, if people want to go back and listen to that or listen to her show, Terrible Thanks for Asking, because I think it strives to erase the taboo around grief. Because a lot of it is like, how are you doing? And you're supposed to be like, you know, as good as to be expected. Or you're supposed to be like, you know, it's getting better every day. But like, it's not, it's not a straight line. Grief is like a loop-de-loop. It goes back and forth how you could feel fine one minute and then remember and feel horrible the next minute.
2: Yeah, I think that that's the biggest takeaway from what I've read about grief and people I've talked to about grief, um, not having ever lost anyone that I was super close to. I mean, I've lost family members, but not someone who was like in my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um And I think that there is just no one way to express grief. But what sucks is that there is so much judgment about how people should grieve. Mm -hmm. So a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's like, oh, like you said, like, you're not sad enough. Why aren't you crying? Why are you doing this when someone you just lost someone? Or, hey, you should be getting out of the house more, you know, like. And so this is a really big time where, like, expectations need to, like, go out the door. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of, like, supporting people who are grieving, even if you are part of that group, um, I think it's really a lot of just, like, a warm body and a person that you can or cannot talk to. Um, mm-hmm. Like, nothing makes me more uncomfortable in the world than talking to someone who just lost someone. Yeah. Like, I never know what to say. I mm-hmm. never know what to offer. I I always feel like I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I I would much prefer to, like, pretend like it hadn't happened and that, like, nobody needs to acknowledge it. But, like, the reality is, like, you do need to acknowledge it. You do need to be there for people. You need to do whatever they want you to do. But, right, and, like, letting them take the lead, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, again, I also think some people probably want people to step in and just, like, get them groceries or do the chores. I was going to say food. You You don't know what they want. It's food. Yeah. (laughs) I think that just, like, across the board, whether – You're the one grieving or someone you care about is grieving. It's so frustrating because there is no guidelines and there is no like clear path. Right. So I think that, again, it comes back to like what are your intentions Mm -hmm. and like reminding yourself, okay, so like I want to be there for you. And like I will let that intention be known, but I might fuck up the way that I do that. Yeah. Or people just don't know. They might one minute.
0: I mean, in my experience, like one minute you want one thing and the Mm -hmm. next minute you you want something else or you're irritable or you're laughing or people are uncomfortable with you being fine during grief and people Mm -hmm. are uncomfortable with you like sobbing or like freaking
2: out like they don't know what to do with either one. I I really feel for you and what you're saying about the fact that like your family used to talk about it a lot. Now, even just a few months have passed and it feels like you can't talk to them anymore. I guess, again, never having been in this position where I've lost a parent, but my instinct would be to push a little bit you yeah. know, to, like, kind of bring bring up your mom. And it's okay to say, look, like, for me, it's really important that we continue to talk about her. That, like, it's not like, oh, we pretend she wasn't a part of our lives. Like, I think that from what I've read, like, that's actually can be really helpful to, like, maintain the positive memories. To maintain all of the things that you guys had together. And maybe, like, sharing that that's your desire with your family will help. It
0: doesn't have to be this heavy thing, too. Like, you mm-hmm. can go... Uh, you know, oh, it's mom's recipe. And it doesn't have to be like oh, dun dun, you know, like, or like, you know, oh, so funny mom told me this thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be when my grandmother May May passed away, who we were very much in each other's lives. Uh, I have a lot of her things mm-hmm. and I used to feel very intensely about them. Like I had a lot of her clothes. And I would never I it's not stuff I would wear. Um but a lot of it sort of smelled like her, and so I I kept it, um. And I have a lot of her dishes and things, and I, there's like a weird like I there's certain things around the house that are hers, and on now and it used to be very heavy, and I used to feel like I had to hold them with such reverence and everything, and then now I'm sort of like it's okay, this is a bowl, and we can use mm-hmm. this bowl, and like I'm not going to wear these clothes, so some of these we can donate, um. And like, there's certain, you know, things that I obviously keep that are hers, but I'm less, like, I don't want to cry when I look at them and I'm less like, oh my God, I must keep this thing because it holds her spirit or how, however I felt. But, but like, it is, it is hard because you start to give so much significance and weight to, to everything. Or even like, you know, I have papers that she wrote on and I Mm -hmm. keep those and, um, it goes back and forth. Like sometimes I talk about her like she's still alive or I'll be like, you know, I'll be telling a story and I'll say like, you know, is instead of was mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, I've I've lost... Uh, all, all of my grandparents are dead, all of them. Even the, even the bonus ones, my dad's biological <laughs> parents. Uh, yeah, and uh, the worst one, it depends on age two, I guess we're getting up there where like it seems like it's hard because I don't know how old Carolina is, but like I don't know that many of her peers have lost parents. You know, I think it's a very singular
2: experience. And so I think that makes sense that when she said that it's hard for her to just talk to her friends about it and how she would prefer to be able to talk to her family about it. Yeah. So I think that you do maybe, you know, say that, vocalize that to your family. But also, you know, I think that Sometimes friends can surprise you Mm -hmm. and like you might find certain friends that you do feel comfortable talking to about it. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to be all your friends, but maybe some people are more empathetic than others or have had grief in their life in a different form Mm -hmm. or, you know, or your friend knows another person who recently lost a parent and maybe they Mm -hmm. can connect the two of you. Um, I think for friends I have who have lost parents, they really do get a lot out of knowing other people who've gone through the same yes. thing and talking to them about it. Yes. So maybe trying to see if there's some, even just like a two connections away, somebody who has experienced something similar where mm-hmm. you can like kind of reach out to them and talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again, like this self-awareness that you have, that like you know that you want to keep talking about her, that you know that this is such a overwhelming feeling, especially in this pandemic, and that you have the the big picture idea of like, that this is something that's not just happening to you, but is happening to so many people, you know, you're very emotionally intelligent. And even though the grief is going to be so painful, I really think that like, you're going to push yourself through that process. Not that it's a process that ever ends. Mm -hmm. But I think that you will be able to remember your mom and, you know, grow as a person and like, be someone who she'd be proud of, you know, like I think yeah, that you're going to yeah, be yeah. able to have like the right perspective on all of this and that's truly incredible, especially considering the shit show that is our current life.
0: Uh tattoos are helpful. Like <laughs> I'm serious. Like mm-hmm. I cuz they're permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh I have a tattoo for my grandmother who passed away when I was 14 who was like my best friend and died of cancer and that was uh like a full nightmare. Um I also have her diaries, which was really helpful. Um, I have I got a tattoo for meme Like I got, uh, I've gotten tattoos, this flower tattoos for Pepe, meme's husband who passed away, my grandfather. Like there's, I tend to get some sort of symbolic, whether it's like a tattoo or like, you know, a symbolic getting a, a painting or getting, you know, uh, something to remember the person by. It's weird because some people have like death, like around them a lot like a mm-hmm. lot of they've experienced it a lot and other people like not at all
2: yeah um, my mom has had so much death in her life like yeah an astounding amount whereas like my dad I mean through my mom but not his blood relatives mm-hmm. he's had like almost none so it's mm-hmm. like a very different they're you know they're walking around the world in very different experiences mm-hmm. um, and so getting yeah. back to that like original question of like how do you support somebody even if you're also grieving or you know or not again like there's no clear rules but i think Mm -hmm. it's being present Mm -hmm. you know it's being i'm here when you want me i'm not here when you don't you can tell me to fuck off like you don't need i think i think a lot of it might just even be letting someone know that like they don't need to take into account your feelings right now yeah 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 That you are just there for them and so if that means that they don't want to answer your phone call they don't have to answer your phone call right right if they want to cry and vent you they absolutely can if they want to like not talk and just watch a movie fine like just Mm -hmm. sort of saying like i've given you this is this is your time this is Mm -hmm. like let's let you do what you need to do and like don't even worry about me i'm just here for you
0: and like tell me stories about them if you want yeah like or, you know, I think for COVID, it's so tough because I feel like there's going to be a lot of support groups specifically for people Absolutely. who lost people to COVID because it is such a unique mm-hmm. experience of death that isn't normal.
2: And um, you're seeing people joke about it and like politicize it in a really big way.
0: That's what this article by Jessman Ward was talking about. And I think if you are going through grief of any kind, you should read it. She she lost her husband. And um, I think it'd be a really good article. For, for anybody going through grief right now.
2: Yeah, and even just like maybe reaching out to your family members and being like, hey, I just read this great article about mm-hmm. grief. Let me send it to you. Hey, do you
0: – and the siblings, do we want to get tattoos for mom? What should we get? Yep. Do you Ta- want to release – <laughs> I don't release? know if
2: everybody wants to get tattoos. I know. I'm just saying,
0: do you want to release balloons? You know, I just saw um, – one of Mal's favorite from RuPaul's Drag Race, Chi Chi Devane passed away very young, like 34. Mm-hmm. And I saw a bunch of the queens got to, you know, some of them got people together who, who knew her and released balloons in her honor and everyone went around and talked about her. Like, I feel like there's some sort of ritual thing that maybe could happen.
2: Yeah, and, you know, still celebrating her birthday or, mm-hmm. you know, incorporating her into holidays, not letting, like, her spirit mm-hmm. uh, be ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, before we move on, I just want to say that it's very normal if, if you're not the one who lost someone, but you care about someone who lost someone to feel so uncomfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I just urge you to push past that discomfort and to mm-hmm. recognize that like, this is a moment where like, you just like, it, you're, it's going to make your skin crawl. You're not going to know what to say. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you're just got to push past that and be there for that person. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, someone will, would do the same for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We've got a
0: juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Nithya Rahman. Stay tuned. Just between-
2: just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions
0: this week on the show we have city council candidate and community advocate Nithya Rahman thank you for being here thank you for having me can you tell our audience uh, who you
3: are and what you're doing well my name is Nithya I am an urban planner by training I have two preschool age twins uh, not two sets, just a set of twins. Okay, I was there two say, oh <laughs> my yes. God. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, two age kids who are, happen to also be twins. Uh, and I am running for city council in District 4 in Los Angeles.
2: And can you kind of explain a little bit what the city council actually does? Because I think probably a lot of people know it exists, but nobody knows exactly, you know, what they're covering. Yeah,
3: so here in LA, uh, our city council is pretty powerful. We have a city of 4 million, We have only 15 city council members for that entire city. So each district is enormous, over Mm -hmm. 250,000 people. We have a weak mayor, strong council system. And Mm -hmm. historically our council members have acted like mini mayors. They have Mm -hmm. been uh, given huge amounts of discretion over what happens in their own districts. And so they're very powerful. They control a lot of what makes up our city. So they control land use, which means things that are built, things that are not built. They control a lot of how we get around because they control road space and how road space is allocated between private automobiles, buses, bicycles, pedestrians, anyone else who might want to be using that road. Um, so they control that and they control incentives around whether it's easy to take the bus or not, whether it's easy to not be in your car or not, a lot of that comes from your city council person. They control a lot of big institutions here in Los Angeles, either directly or through commissions. So we control a publicly owned utility, which is the Department of Water and Power. We own it, Um, and so that's incredibly powerful and a huge tool in our battle against climate change they control the port, the port of LA, also an important tool in climate change. In addition to being obviously a tool for commerce and economic growth, uh, LAX, the LAPD, uh, they control a budget of over ten billion. So they're just they're a very powerful group of individuals, and uh, I think it's important to note that uh, we have a total of. Eighteen elected representatives in the city of Los Angeles, so including the mayor, the controller, and the city attorney, and only two out of those entire 18 are women. Wow. Oh, wow.
2: So the incumbent is running again in this race. Yes. And, and what made you decide that you wanted to run against him?
3: I think looking around Los Angeles, L.A. is facing a huge amount of situations that I think have reached a crisis point. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think the most, the biggest situation is our housing crisis and the resulting rising population of homelessness here in LA. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is related to um, policies that are coming out of our city hall. And this was kind of my entry point into it because I've done a lot of work on homelessness in my career here, I worked for the city, looking at their their response on homelessness. I I started one of the most active volunteer-run homelessness coalitions in my own neighborhood. I live in Silver Lake, and it serves Los Feliz and the surrounding areas as well. And as I did more work, as I learned more about the city, I became incredibly um, I became incredibly impatient for change. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw a city which was really, really powerful that could help us protect people experiencing homelessness, that could make sure that people who were about to lose their homes were going to stay in their homes, that could help keep rents lower, that could protect tenants better, that could help clean our air, that could do so much to make our city a better place to live and a place that was really focused on kind of on justice, on sustainability, on values that I think all of us act on at a broader level. And over and over again, they chose not to use their powers to actually achieve mm-hmm. that vision. And I think to me, that was incredibly frustrating. And so that's why I decided to run. And the reason I decided to run in this moment is because we have this opportunity. In LA, You know, historically we've had very little voter turnout in municipal elections. But for this election, they overlapped the federal elections and our Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and our municipal elections, which means that a ton of people are were already at the polls on primary day voting for their favorite presidential candidate and will be at the polls voting against Trump, uh, voting, you know, voting in um, uh, Biden and Harris. And all we need to do is convince them to look down ballot. You know, Mm -hmm. that's all we needed to do. And so that so we felt like it was a really exciting moment to be part of our local political um, conversation. And and I've been really excited about what we've been able to do. We've been able to activate so many people as volunteers, get so many people engaged on local issues, all of that stuff.
2: And can you explain a little bit why it's so important to vote down ballot and how people can be more informed about their more local elections?
3: Yeah, just in L.A. or in general? In, oh, general. in general, yeah. Well, I think over the last few months, we've seen two incredibly historic things happen in America and the world um, that have made the case for why local action is so important and being mm-hmm. locally engaged is so important. So we had this g- massive global pandemic. Our federal government has completely failed to respond to it in the ways that we need to. And as a result, people are really suffering, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really incumbent upon our state legislatures and our local elected governments to take the kinds of actions that we need in order to be able to stay healthy, to stay housed, to um, keep our jobs, to keep our businesses open. All of that stuff is dependent on the action of local officials, local and state level officials. The second thing was a historic uprising against police brutality, against Black Americans, but also against racial injustice um, that's been written into the very fabric of America and has been perpetuated by local governments that have looked away from those issues for so many years and that have allowed, you know, both the focus on policing and 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 how we've kind of um, invested in policing over other kinds of public safety measures in our communities, but also how we have allowed kind of racist urban planning regimes to continue and to and to um, make inequities even deeper. I think. Both of these have made it so clear how important our local government is and why it's so incredibly important for people to get informed, to see who's getting elected, and to take action locally. And you asked how how should people get informed? Uh, That's a really good question. For me, the best way to stay informed and to get engaged is to join a group. You know, so if you can find a community organization that shares your general outlook on your city or on your politics, a local, you know, I am part of uh, a number of kind of progressive organizations locally. And I feel like those groups help keep me informed, help keep me engaged and tell me when I need to take action because it's hard to keep track of everything.
0: I wanted to ask about, um, grassroots fundraising because, uh, I think your campaign has, even on the very front of your website, talks about not taking corporate donations, um, and uh, it, as opposed to your opponent. And I know that that's come up a lot in, in all sorts of elections in terms of like Bernie Sanders not taking corporate money and stuff. So, uh, what does that mean for you? And, and why did you decide not to take corporate money? And why do you think that's kind of become more of a, a conversation generally? Let me answer the second part of that first, Okay, because um, because I think
3: it's such an important issue. It's not just about corporate donations. I think we need to start really having the conversation around publicly financed elections in America, because I think if you look at every level of government, who is getting access to our legislators? Who are our elected representatives spending the most amount of time with? And if you are really reliant on fundraising from whether it be corporations or whether it be wealthier residents in your neighborhood uh, or in your in your jurisdiction, you are going to have to spend a lot of time speaking to those individuals or to those entities instead of speaking to all of your constituents and really talking to people who have needs that 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 your office can address in the most immediate way. And I think perceptions just get skewed about what good policymaking is and what needs are locally. Uh, I was talking to someone who has worked in D.C. for a long time, and she said that congressional offices are so understaffed, you know, and so when you're in charge of 10 different issues and you have to legislate on those issues, lobbyists will show up with research that you can use to that will also shape your position on those issues, but you can't afford to commission that research. You don't have the time to do that research on your own. I mean, we are setting our system up, to be serving those people who have the most money to be part of the electoral process, right? Mm-hmm. And so we really need to be fighting for publicly financed elections if we really want elected officials to be able to focus on governing, to be able to focus on meeting their constituents' needs. I think it's such an important part of the change that we need to see You know, overall. And for me, it was really important to do that because of what we've seen just in the city of Los Angeles and in the state of California as a whole. Um, Just, you know, just over the past couple of years, we've scuttled programs that could have, uh, you know, really helped tenants, that could have prevented evictions, that could have kept rents lower. And all of that has come about because a lot of these, you know, money groups are able to pay into campaigns. In our campaign, the max donation is only 800, which is a lot of money, but it's not an eye-popping amount of money. For an assembly member in the state of California, the max donation is $4,800, right? $4,800. That is an astounding amount of money. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And so a single corporation let's say with multiple LLCs that are subsidiaries of that corporation Mm -hmm. could bankroll an entire election for someone pretty fast, you know? And then all of the people who are involved in that corporation can give their own max donations. And suddenly you've got an elected representative who's completely beholden to a single group or to a set of interests to stay in power. And I think a lot of that influence has been incredibly corrosive. So I do think it's really important for people to step up and to say even as campaign finance reform pushes are happening, you can say as a candidate I'm just not going to take this money, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, you know. We still end up having to do spend a, I still spend a lot of my time fundraising. I have to. I'm running mm-hmm. against the most well-funded incumbent in city council history, so I really I do need to do that in order to be successful. But it's it's as good as we can do. I'm doing the best that I can under the circumstances that we have, you know, while still keeping my eye on the prize, which is, I think, a publicly financed election system here in the city.
2: How would you describe the difference between being the progressive candidate and being the Democratic candidate?
3: <laughs> I mean, I think campaign finance is a big part of it, right, is a commitment to walking the walk um, in terms of articulating what is the difference between somebody who is, who may speak a very similar language because sometimes i mm-hmm. think it's hard to tell the difference in la between a corporate democrat and a progressive democrat or just a just you know who's in power versus a real progressive candidate but i think yeah doing everything in your power to to run the kind of campaign that you would want to see as the norm i think is really the difference for me so in addition to being really policy focused we've done a ton of work putting out policies, making sure that we really articulate what our vision is for LA. Um, In addition to that, I think the two other things that we've done, which really demonstrate kind of what it means to be a progressive is focusing on individual donations, but also building a movement through the campaign, really trying to use the campaign to engage as many people as possible, to get people excited about volunteering, to to knock on as many doors as possible, or if we can't knock on doors because of COVID, we're going to call as many people as possible, text as many people as possible, write postcards to as many people as possible. That to me is kind of the progressive vision for organizing, right? That's how you make change happen is you talk about your vision and you try and get people engaged in it.
0: There's been a lot of people who wouldn't normally have thought of themselves as uh, politicians or would not, wouldn't normally have run for office. And I think you, this is, you know, you were not a career politician. Um, why is this like the time for that? I mean, what did you think you were going to do when you were a kid? Like, how did you come to, to run for office? Gosh,
3: I don't know that anyone's ever asked me what I thought I would be when I was a kid. <laughs> I th- I can't even remember. Not
2: even on a first date. Yeah. Right.
3: (laughs) No, I can't remember what I wanted to be when I, when I was a kid, I have no idea to be honest,
0: but it's not a straight line. I mean, no, no. you're not like,
3: no, not at all. I think maybe I wanted to be an author at some point. I wanted to work in advertising. I must've seen a TV show or something. that (laughs) talked about it. Um, something creative, but also making something substantive. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it's so important for people who are not traditional politicians to be in this space. And I'm really inspired by a lot of the new voices that we've seen across America, stepping up and running. I was really skeptical of what city council could do in some ways or what the campaign could do. And now having done it for this long and seen how many people were able to engage with, how many stories were able to tell, I think at this point, you know, it's become a lot more exciting for me and like the potential of the electoral space. I guess I would say I wasn't skeptical. I was, I was excited about the potential of it, but I didn't know what would happen, you know? And mm-hmm. I wasn't sure that people would get excited about it. But, but now I feel like there's like a real potential there to engage so many people. And so I think absolutely it has to open up beyond the existing political spaces and it has to be exciting for other people to step into, you know? And I hope that that happens more in L.A.
2: And I think a big part of like we were talking about in terms of like the importance of local government is this idea that like you guys do determine the budget for the LAPD, right? So what are your thoughts in terms of defunding the police? And and are you seeing there's some sort of unity across different counties and states? And what do you think the right path is there? I just read
0: the thing that you put out about that. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah, we we talk extensively
3: about really taking money away from our armed policing, what we're doing right now, and putting it into a response to kind of the root causes of the calls for service that LAPD is getting. So if you look at what LAPD calls for service have been over the last few years, um, studies have shown about 8% of those calls for service had to do with violence, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of the rest of it has to do with things like noisy homes, traffic um, enforcement issues, Homelessness, a lot of calls for service have to do with homelessness, but not, don't have to do with a, a particular moment in time related to homelessness. It's just like, oh, there is an encampment. It needs to go away, that kind of call. Um, or I see something suspicious happening there. Come, there's nothing urgent about it. Mental health crises, personal crises, domestic violence issues. Um, for a lot of these, in fact, for, for the vast majority of the calls for service an unarmed, trained professional would be a much better response and would actually address the root cause of that call for service much better than an armed police um, response would. And so that's what the policy talks about. It really talks about, I think, taking some of the immense budget that we've put into policing and reinvesting it in, in these specific um, responses to these various issues. So, yeah.
2: What kinds of trained professionals?
3: So you could deploy these professionals in all kinds of different ways. So there are violence reduction programs that have been very effective. Um, and that actually do happen even in Los Angeles, which have to do with um, reaching out in places where there's a lot of gang violence and forming connections in the community. And these are really effective. Uh, you know, evidence-based programs that can have shown to reduce violence over time that have been shown to to get people out of gang activity and into other kinds of economic activities, um, and that can support individuals through that process. So those are places where we could invest, and that would mean, you know, professionals who are trained in doing that kind of work. In homelessness response, paying for outreach workers, case managers, mental health professionals to be able to respond to Uh, calls for service about homeless encampments, so that every time you go out to a call for service about um, somebody living in a homeless encampment, that you're actually working with them on the process of getting housed, and that you don't just go out to calls, you also go out proactively and talk Mm -hmm. to individuals, build those relationships, make sure people are getting into housing, make sure people are getting into services. That takes time, and investing Mm -hmm. in that through um, trained professionals, I think, is incredibly important. Um, We also talked about like a mental health crisis response team, right? So this is built off of something called the CAHOOTS model, in, um, it, which happened in um, Eugene. And essentially for a call for service related to a mental health crisis or a health crisis, you send out a trained professional to go help someone through that. Uh, and again, much often much more effective than sending out an armed police officer. And in all of these, much, much cheaper. So, you know, these are much more efficient responses. So the data shows that in the examples in other, from other cities, a, a single team was able to respond to many thousands of calls, you know, and it's, it's really, it's an incredibly efficient use of, of money as well, uh, while really addressing people's needs in that moment.
2: Let's say if you win the election, what needs to happen next? Like, do you, you need a majority of the council to, to agree with this kind of well, re-regulation of money?
3: So I think there's actually already two um, motions in front of City Hall right now that came out after the protests, um, after the uprising. And they are looking at how we can get kind of non, uh, you know, trained professionals in this kind of, response right and another one talks about removing armed police from traffic enforcement entirely
0: mm-hmm.
3: the question is how will those be implemented right? right so and i think the thing i'm excited about if i if i do get into the office is to really get into the nuts and bolts of what that can look like what the new system can look like and really pushing for kind of a really impactful implementation of 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 what the reallocation of money could look like, what the, what the reformulation of services could look like.
2: How do we not give up hope if Trump wins again?
3: Oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> help us. Like, how do we not think that, oh, our entire government is no longer here to help and that we just now live in a dictatorship? Like, how do we fight back if he does win?
3: I think it is really hard to... To be hopeful in those circumstances, especially given the, what has happened over the last few months with, with the COVID response at the federal mm-hmm. level, it's been really frightening to see, no doubt. But to me, the way I've been able to stay sane, the way I've been able to n- remove myself from the, the anxiety, the daily anxiety of thinking about what's going to happen in D.C. in November is to really focus on the local and to think Mm -hmm. about how much change has already happened because of the surge in civic engagement first from the pandemic and then with the the uprising and how far the city council has already been pushed to take actions that I never thought possible in Los Angeles or that I thought would be possible but in in a much longer period of time, Mm -hmm. right? But just people showing up expressing their values and demanding the future that they want moved the city and we are 4 million strong in the city of Los Angeles we are 10 million strong in the county you know the state is enormous we have an enormous opportunity to make change that is so impactful for so many people at this level so no matter what happens in november whether in my race or in at the national level I think the work ahead is so clear to me. And that's really exciting. You know, that's that's really important.
2: Do you want to play a game show? <laughs> I was waiting for you to do that. <laughs> I mean, it was so beautiful. I, there was nothing for me to add to that. So <laughs> You're very
3: saying. kind. Um, sure. Yes, I'll play.
2: Okay, so um, Hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I give you a couple of hypothetical situations and ask you what you would do in those situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you want. And then at the end of the day, I just decide if I like your answer. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, Our first game is, are you a terrible parent? You are not a fan of your kid's new partner, who is a staunch Republican. When you tell them you think they should break up, your child rebels by voting Republican. Are you a terrible parent? They eventually do break up, but also the Republicans narrowly win that election. I
3: don't think so. I don't think you're a bad parent.
2: Because you have to tell them the truth. You have to
0: tell them how you really feel about the partner. Did they ask? No. Yeah, did they ask?
2: What? So when did I bring this up? You, oh, parents never said to their kid, I don't like who you're dating? Mine says it all the time. How how, how long
3: have they been dating?
2: (laughs) They've been dating four months. Oh, okay. No,
3: then yes, you're
2: a bad parent. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't tell your kid to break up with a Republican? I would.
3: (laughs) I think you don't tell them in four months. I think you tell them when the stakes get really high. You know, if you really think it's going to be serious, if you really think that there's a chance that they could be with them long term, then at that point you can say, okay, I've kept my mouth shut for so long but I really feel like it's important for me to say if it's just four months, who knows where four months is going to lead? I mean, how old is the kid right now?
2: 21. Yeah, no, four
0: months. I feel like, okay, I feel like if you hadn't said something, then the kid wouldn't have felt the need to rebel. And so it would have just petered out on its own and they wouldn't have voted Republican because you had to stick your nose in it. Right. They, They, now they wanted to rebel. My parents, if my parents were like, didn't say anything about my partner, then I would break up on my own. But if my parents were like, we hate them, I'd be like, y'all show you. So I think that Nithya's right and uh, we are bad parents.
2: Fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> i'll accept it it. i'll accept it whatever i'm telling my kids date one (laughs) you
0: sound yeah you sound it's not that we lost you just sound disappointed in our answer yeah Yeah.
2: it's the right answer but it's upsetting okay our next game are they an alien or just rude okay while giving a campaign speech one audience member interrupts you in order to elaborately propose to their girlfriend as the crowd goes wild, they ask you to marry them on the spot. And when you say you are legally not able to do that, they shout that you are a fraud and storm off. Is this person an alien or just rude? Wow. It's all been televised. Also, when you were reading it, Nithya just
0: put her head in her hands. <laughs> she was so upset. Probably envisioning this happening to her and being like, <laughs> wow. Um, I think they're just rude. Yeah. Have I ever met this constituent before? Do I know them?
2: No. How did they get on stage? Where is my security? No, they were in the audience, but then they they had like a megaphone and they were like, Stop! I have to do something. And then everyone thought they were going to maybe be violent, but instead they proposed. And why do they think I'm an ordained minister? I can't reveal that because the answer is that on their planet, all politicians are also ministers who are able to marry
0: people. And and it's common to get engaged at campaign speeches? Yes,
2: because the person is political and the marriage is political.
0: Okay, and their planet resembles ours as such that people are running for, like the same political system exists on their planet.
2: No, theirs is better. They don't have the electoral college. Oh, okay. All right, one win for me. One win for you guys. (laughs) Okay. Our final game. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of three years doesn't have health insurance. So whenever they get sick, they have to seduce a doctor friend of theirs in (laughs) order to get free treatment. Would you stay with this cheater? The doctor is very good looking. Do I have insurance in this? Um, Yes, you do. But they don't believe in marriage. They're a different alien from a different planet. That- no, this okay. is a human person. The doctor okay. may or may not be the alien.
3: I just feel like there's other options to get health care besides seducing <laughs> doctors.
0: Is there in America? I know. I was about to say the answer is capitalism is a nightmare. Right. Yeah.
3: I will agree with you on that one. Yeah. That's right.
0: Wow. It's their friend, the doctor? Yeah. That's not a friend. That's not a good friend. Well, he's yeah.
2: not a good friend, No. I feel like my partner probably just wants to have sex with them.
0: Yeah, I'm going to
2: I'm not going to stay with them. They do have seasonal allergies, I'll say that. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that, that mean that they always have problems or always seeing them the same time of year? It's It's an affair.
3: Yeah, this feels like an <laughs> excuse. There are you've been gullible for too long that we should yeah, we got to move on. You got to move on from
2: that's why you deny their proposal at the next campaign event. That's right. Because they're an <laughs> alien. <laughs> I've honestly lost track of this universe. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about your campaign and everything you're doing?
3: They can follow me on socials, Nitya V. Raman on Twitter, Nitya for the City on Instagram, and on the website, Nitya dot com.
2: Amazing. Thank you, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. for Very having me.
3: This was
0: such a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Stick around after the break, we'll be talking all about values.
0: And the value menu. No, we won't. No,
2: we won't. <laughs> Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. XXXXXXX, X, 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 Baby. Bye bye. Bye bye. So I've been thinking a lot about my values as a person and how Mm -hmm. little they align with my daily life. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't think that's true. Well, I love animals, but then I eat some meat and I wear leather. So what the fuck is that about? Okay, but
0: I feel like everyone's just doing their best. You can't possibly know everything in order to be perfectly aligned with your values at all times. How can you keep up with every single thing and every single like what's problematic, what's not like you might just not know. And I feel like we don't allow for the nuance of not being black and white of some Mm -hmm. stuff being more important than others to specific people. Um, And I don't know, I feel like there's the capability to learn And there's also the capability to learn and be like, I still don't care.
2: (laughs) I also think that, like, the system is rigged against us, right? Because it's like, we hate capitalism, yes, but how can we participate in society without also participating in capitalism?
0: You try to do your best. I think, like, you know, I I hate capitalism a lot, so I try to spend my time in ways that give back. I try to donate a lot. I try to make sure that like there's so- some redistribution of my wealth in terms of like having what I actually need to live and then not having too too much extra mm-hmm. um, or being mindful of like what I'm spending my money on. If you really care about certain animals, like you would never eat rabbit or you would never – eat bacon or something but
2: you're not particularly concerned about cows like I think that's fair I am concerned about cows I'm trying to now go back to just occasional chicken and then fish so I want to mostly be a pescatarian
0: be careful I just saw an interview with Janelle Monet that she was a pescatarian and she got mercury poisoning thanks I'm (laughs) just letting the people know um Yeah. I mean, am I, I think you're the way that you grow up and the way that you move through the world explains a lot of your values. Like I'm not necessarily a diehard family person. Like I love my family, but I'm not like family values are the values. I'm not like family is the most important thing because I think as a queer person, like chosen family comes into a big part Mm of it. Like I'm very curated about like, friendships now and that sort of being like the chosen family. But I also care a lot about the queer community. And like I would put, you know, I think like I don't want to rank things, but I, I love animals. I don't put dogs as high as you might. And like <laughs> I put, you know, queer issues at a certain le- like I don't know if it's if it's worth it to like rank stuff or just to be like, this is what I care about. And then I assume other people are caring about the other things.
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, activism, I try to, like, keep it to a couple of main things because I ag- agree, like, I don't think you can, like, take on everything. So, like, I try to, yeah, like, focus your energy. a lot of, like, mental health activism, rescue dog activism, and then just, like, engagement in politics in general. Mm-hmm. But I also just feel, like, Even just, like, every time I order from Amazon, I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. But then I'm like, but do I want to spend 20 extra dollars to pay for shipping from somewhere
0: else? (laughs) I really try. Yeah. I really – I mean, we're getting stuff for the house and, like, it really matters. Like, I really try not to get from Amazon. Um, It does require, like – getting things a little bit later than I would Mm -hmm. want to and also getting things from multiple websites. So now I had delivery from Petco. Now I have delivery from HP printers. Now I have a delivery from Staples or whatever, right? Because you have to get things in different places. But now there's more packaging, right? So now, so I'm not supporting Amazon, but I'm full of fucking plastic. What single use plastic. So like, how do you win? I don't know. You try to do your best. and It's just like, there's some way in which it's bad every single way.
2: Yeah, I looked up or someone recommended this company and said it was like black owned. So I was like, awesome, like Shea Moisture. But it's sold to a conglomerate a couple years ago. So it's oh. no longer black. You know, and I was like, ah. <laughs> and then here's the other thing. Of course, you want to
0: support black owned businesses. But then are we feeding into capitalism? Ah!
2: I know that's so. Like, I I had to like have a big talk with myself a couple weeks ago where I was like, like you said, like it's impossible to completely align. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is like slowly make those steps. So like, I used to eat turkey. I'm not eating turkey anymore because mm-hmm. I saw some wild turkey in Colorado. I had to cut that out. <laughs> I'm, you know, like I'm really like I probably the only meat I will eat is like we get food delivery service and so once a week we might have a chicken dish but like i don't i'm not ordering meat for like taken or Mm -hmm. delivery or any you know like i really want to get that down i want to get that out of air i don't get sugar any beef products anymore um and good for climate change Yeah, because that, yeah, because, like, exactly. Beef is, like, so terrible for the climate. But then, like, my mom fucking loves the environment and cares so much about that, but then she eats beef. So it's, like, nobody's perfect. We're all just doing what we can. But then the other thing is that you have to understand that, like,
0: your singular impact is great and it should align with what you want to do, but the government can just, like, do dump oil and do whatever the fuck it wants, frack all over the place. Like, there's so many things I've learned about that, like, obviously I want to do for my own feeling like I'm contributing and being moral and and making a positive impact on earth. But a lot of it has to, has to go politically. A yeah. lot of it, like I'm using, okay, so I'm getting this single use plastic. Ugh. But to be honest, like we put a lot of onus on individual people who don't make a lot of money to make these hard decisions and scrimp and save and, and choose where they're getting things from and whatever. Uh, when the real problem is billionaires who are exploiting their, their um, workers and the government who puts money into uh, destroying the environment and Mm -hmm. causing wars in other countries and all these things that like a lot of it has to come from the top down. So like if these are your values, it's great to do things individually, but you also need to be like out on the streets protesting. And I mean that emotionally, spiritually and metaphorically as well as physically. Um, You also have to be involved with organizations who are trying to make greater political change. Unless it's coming from the top and bigger, uh, companies and bigger, more rich people, it's just not, it's just not gonna have any sort of huge impact. But at the same time, you need to individually in your life be living what you need to, to do. So like, if you care about racial justice and you, and you are able to hire, Like, Mm -hmm. you should be hiring inclusively, and you should also be making sure that when you hire inclusively, you create a positive environment for POC to work for you. However, that's not going to solve racism.
2: Right? (laughs) you know what I mean? like, Yeah. So I think, like, knowing that, like, not one person can make, like, macro differences, but, like, trying to make micro differences in your life and just, like, in the way you treat people and mm -hmm. how you approach things and, like— You
0: can save one to ten dogs—
2: Yeah. But you cannot (laughs) save them all. Save them all. Yeah, exactly. Um, But you, like, can help pass legislation that, like... No-kill shelters. No-kill shelters, right. Right. So, like, trying to find that balance. And also I try to take, like, a lot of, like, um, focus on, like, just the individual relationships I have and, like, being a good daughter, being a good partner, being a good Mm -hmm. aunt, like, all that stuff, Um, and not, like, get so bogged down in all the things I'm not doing, (laughs)
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a good episode for this because there are so many local organizations. I felt very hope like hopeless and helpless um, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And so I started joy. I worked like with white people for black lives, which is actually great because it it helps you sort of figure out what needs to be done without like centering yourself. I think there's like this kind of good spirited, but uh, ultimately uh, negative drive that white people have to be like the center of the thing. Mm. Uh, And so I think you have to like defer to black leadership and just shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. So that's been great for that. I also realized that like, because of my dad's history of addiction, um, I care a lot about jail reform. I care a lot about who goes to prison. I care a lot about like the, the school to prison pipeline. I care a lot about like our, our leap to incarcerate Mm -hmm. Um, and people who are in jail for nonviolent crimes And basically the how jail we did an episode of Bad with Money about this, how how slavery never ended. It just became the prison Mm -hmm. system. And so I started working with Justice L.A. and Reform L.A. Jails. And like you kind of have to figure out like you you can't just be like, let's solve racism. You kind of have to figure out like what specifically your values align with and what specifically within that you care about. Mm-hmm. Like you love animals, you have to get specific with it, I think. Caring is good, but you have to get specific with like
2: now what do you do? I'm not going to order from Amazon anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, also like, you know, I think I think there's there is small things.
2: You know, don't get ivory. Don't like Oh my god. I'm you know not even get ivory. But people like, did you re- hear my reaction when I thought you had a coral lamp? I was like, Geez. you were very <laughs> upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not real coral; it's plastic. <laughs> uh, but like, even just like the fact that my my engagement ring is um, diamonds that were made in a lab feels uh-huh. like aligned with my values. Like that was like right. a small, cool thing that we could do. So like, one hundred percent ethical, like conflict free, made in a lab diamonds. Like because mm-hmm. I always felt like really yucky about the diamond industry. And so oh, it's like terrible. finding loopholes and new ways and, you know, breaking mm-hmm. habits can be helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like listening too, right. Like I'm part of the LGBT community, but I'm not the T. Mm-hmm. So like what, what is happening with those people and what they need as, as individuals and also as a larger community. Um, and so like deferring and sort of listening and figuring out what, would be most helpful because obviously I, I care about queer people and I care about specifically queer and trans people, but like what, you know, wh- what does that mean? And how do you not just care about the part of the community? That's just you. Mm-hmm. And I think there is like a lot of issues with, uh, at least the, I will say the L and G not giving a shit about the B or the T. Yeah. Um, but just because I'm the B doesn't mean I can purport to know about the T. The mm-hmm. So if you really do care, understanding that that means sometimes taking a back seat or that means sometimes elevating other voices, not just your own. If you care about doing the work, a lot of times somebody has already been doing that work. So yeah. find out who that is and, def- and go to them.
2: That's a good point.
1: Tamika, do you want to share your opinion? That's a really good last point. Thank you. Yeah, because I know that like when it comes to values, these are things that we like tend to feel when we're young and then it becomes more informed as we get older and we learn more and more. And uh, like for me, I always had a really hard time eating things that I knew had suffered before ending up on my plate. Mm
2: -hmm. I would
1: try to become a vegetarian and then I didn't know how because I never knew any vegetarians. So talking to them as I got older and figuring out how you can still eat food and not be in poor health <laughs> um, yeah. by, you know, taking meat out of your diet was really helpful. So it helped me live in a way that was closer to my values. So I think it's really important to, like, defer or look to people who are living in a way that, you know, you want to live.
0: Yeah. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel exists. What do we rate the episode? Um, 13 out of 13 – Friends who understand your grief and help you and have gone through the same
2: thing as you. That's a good one. Thank you. Very concise. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'll rate it um, nine out of eight down ballot votes. Hell yeah. Tawika?
1: Ten out of ten days to reflect on your values.
2: Aww, Aww. that's so
0: sweet.
2: Well, thank you to Nithya Roman for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also
0: composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine
2: Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher.
0: Go vote locally. Please care about local elections. Please.
3: Stitcher.